0: Um, and my name is James, if you haven't met, welcome to everyone online as well. Um, we actually have been in Acts, and it's been amazing this year. We've been going through the book of Acts, and we're diverting out of Acts to today for a series. But in many ways, the conversation of this series is continuation from where we are in Acts. Because Acts was all about the explosion of the early church, and we've been seeing how those things apply to us. And here in this series we're going through, we're gonna look at how, the, how to do church in the context that we find ourselves in today. So our series is called Why Church? Why Church, Ancient Blueprints for a Post-Lockdown World. Now many people have started to question in the online era how church has changed and how it should change. And we wanna answer the question why church is important and why it's extremely important right now and why we need to go to the Bible For the blueprints as to how church should be done and we need to apply what that says in our context and so we're going to make things very clear this is in many ways a very practical series and we're going to it's going to be a benefit if you're not even a christian you're going to find insight into what the bible says about the church if you're new to our church this is going to be helpful for you to get an insight as to what do we believe about the church and what do we believe it's how it should be run and if you've been around for a while, it's still going to be of immense value to you because I promise you, you're going to be challenged as we relook look at the scriptures about who the church is and how high a view God has of the church, which implies a high view of our participation in it. So it will be a good washing over for us, even if we've been around the block for a right while. So we're going to be covering a lot of questions in the series. I'm doing who, and then it's what, and then we've got how. But my who questions for today start in a very broad place, and we're going to open a ton of scriptures together. And I've got these headings. Who is church for? Very important and fundamental. Who leads the church? Very, very practical we're going to get into. And who are the church? There we're going to see God's high view that he has of his church so those are the three headings if you're taking notes it's going to help you to remember them beyond just this morning take your cue from impact africa guys over here because they the absolute boss of taking notes so we're going to start with who is church for very important let's kick off with a couple of scriptures matthew chapter 16 says jesus speaking to his disciples he said to them but who do you say that i am simon peter replied you are the christ the son of the living God and Jesus answered him blessed are you Simon bar Jonah for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my father who is in heaven and I tell you you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it so uh, three learnings immediately from the scripture number one the church belongs to Jesus he says it's my church number two Jesus Created the church. He says, I'm about to build it. Number three, the church is actually advanced by Jesus himself. Colossians 1 18, to continue this, speaking about Jesus, says he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That means that he is of first importance in all things. A couple of learnings there is Jesus is the head of the church and Jesus is the one that the church is all about. He's preeminent in the church. So put the five together. The church is Jesus' church. The church was started by Jesus. Jesus is the head and the ruler of the church. Jesus will build his church, and the church is all about Jesus. This is an important foundation because lots of people think that the church is about them. The church is not about you. I hear it when people say, I didn't get much out of Sunday. Well, I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but Sunday is not about you. So I'm not going to lose any sleep over that. The question isn't, didn't you get something out of it? The question is, did Jesus get something out of it? Because we gather because of Jesus. He's the head of the church. The church is all for Him. And so if we don't get this right, we're going to be a man-centered church that is always concerned about how to entertain people, appease people, when God says, the church is all about Jesus. And so we have to be a church that is Christ-centered. And when we care for people and when we seek the lost to be saved, it's because we want to glorify Jesus. We want those people to worship Jesus in their lives. We want everyone to worship Jesus because it's all about Jesus. The church is primarily about Jesus. In fact, worshiping Jesus is not just the mandate of the church. There's also the mandate of every human being that's alive. We were created for the purpose of worshiping jesus glorifying him with our lives so much so that when we aren't worshiping jesus our joy and our satisfaction of life is capped because we're not tapping into the central design that god pumped into our hearts when he set eternity into the hearts of men we are only ourselves in our truest form when we are worshiping jesus we only tap into and understand who we really are when we really are worshiping our creator we are kept when we're not doing that every life was made to glorify Jesus and how much more so should the church which is the gathering of God's people not be focused on worshiping Jesus now this is very broad but it has implications for how we do church it means that for instance when we preach it's not just about a bunch of practical things that you can apply in your life as if our purpose here is to give you hacks for your life But hopefully what happens when we preach is that we open the scriptures and the general sense that we get is Jesus is worthy. He is amazing. I should worship him with all of my life and lay down myself because he's worthy. Hopefully the preaching makes much of Jesus because it's the reason why we're here is to make much of him. It's the reason why when we worship, we won't just worship songs that are about me and my life. But we will often carve out huge amounts of worship to just say God is great and to dedicate masses of our time to the central reason why we're here, which is to declare that Jesus is amazing. We must glorify Jesus in this church. We must be Christ-centered. It's the reason why when we close worship, and it's often Simon, he often comes up and so do we, and we say things like, Lord, we worship you in this place. Jesus, we love you. We turn our eyes to you. We magnify you. We lift you up. These aren't just one-liners that we just recycle. These are actually declarations of the reason why we're here. This is the central confession of who we are and so we are just reiterating we're all about jesus and that's what church has to be about that's what god desired, designed a life to be about and definitely the church in fact the church is of huge priority to jesus the only institution that will be around after this earth disappears if some people think that the church is irrelevant and its days are numbered you incorrect because it will outlive your great great grandparents and this earth will no longer be the same and the church will still continue because the church outlives this age and we actually read that one day we will worship Jesus as the church every tribe, nation and tongue Revelation chapter 7 describes this moment, it says after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and all people and languages, they were standing before the throne and before the Lamb Clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands crying out with a loud voice salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb and all the angels were standing and around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen this is the future of the church we will worship jesus face to face he will be in our midst there will no longer be a sun to light our way because jesus will be the sun he will be present with us and we will worship him so worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive honor and glory and wisdom and might that is the future of the church it's not going to go backwards the gates of hell will prevail against it and we will worship god unfiltered forever and ever amen that's what the church is about you can clap for that so point number one, done and dusted, whose who's church for? It's for Jesus. Let's not get that mixed up. But as we look at the fact that it's about Jesus, leads us onto a more practical point about who leads the church. Because we've kind of acknowledged the fact that Jesus is, co- in a cosmic manner, ruling and reigning over the church. He's presiding over it. But how that practically usually plays out is God is presiding over many different local churches scattered around the world and ruling and reigning over that leadership. So it's important that we clarify Who leads the church Uh, there's many different philosophies that exist about how to lead churches some people believe bishops need to preside over multiple churches some people believe you just have to be the man of God just anointed and appointed by yourself you can lead the church we believe in the biblical position that churches should be led by elders and I say it's the biblical position because every single church in the New Testament was led by elders so, Acts 14, we read that Paul said that all the elders, he spoke about all the elders and all the churches that he was leading, implying that every church that he ever planted has elders. Acts 15, there's churches, there's elders in Jerusalem, elders in Ephesus, there's elders in Crete. The book of James implies that there's elders in the whole dispersed church faction group. And in First Peter, we read that there were elders in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So, basically it is the biblical model that churches should be led by elders now the point of this uh, is very important that god would actually appoint a person to shepherd over his church as an, is an immensely scandalous idea and for me to be in that position is particularly hard to wrap my head around so we have to ask the question of what qualifies a person to be a shepherd over others and in some ways, I think not, nothing qualifies us except for Jesus, but in another way, there are some basic uh, qualifications that are needed as a prerequisite. So these are from First Timothy and Titus. Uh, elder is to be above reproach. That means there's no way that you could accuse them of anything. They're a husband of one wife, meaning that if they're married, they're faithful to that wife. Temperate, sound-minded, respectable, hospitable, Able to teach, that means they can communicate sound teaching of the Bible, be it from this platform or in another context. Not addicted to much wine, beer, whatever your poison is, not addicted to alcohol, gentle, not a lover of money, managing his own household, not a new convert, and respected in the community at large. A terrifying list of requirements, but what's even more terrifying is barring the whole new convert deal, these, all these things are commanded in scripture of all Christians. So this is actually relevant to you. If you want to be the type of person that gets put in a leadership position spiritually, we should be looking at that list and thinking about how am I doing with them. So this is relevant to you as well as to me. Now let's say these requirements are met and you get appointed as an elder. What are the responsibilities of an elder in our church? Well, we, have, we divide into three G's. Uh, we talk about we need to guide, God and govern the church. We need to guide the church in the sense that we discern the vision of the church and set an example in it we guide by leading by example and we guide by teaching truth biblical truth preserving the word that god taught we to guard the church this means guarding against false teaching false teachers bad influences things that would come up against the people of god and we are to govern the church this is about making strategic decisions over the last two years god has been faithful to us in a changing COVID world, how he's helped us to govern this church. We're also supposed to manage people programs and resources and even appoint other elders. That is the role of an elder. And my application um, at this moment, if you're thinking this is very irrelevant to you, I wanna put the elders up on the screen behind me and just encourage you guys, if you have a concern or a question or an encouragement, I wanna ask you guys to come and speak to these gents up here because we are, Shepherds that God has put in place for you guys in the church. Just to talk you through, uh, top left we've got Vorno, the tallest in holiness and in physical stature. To the right of him, you guys must know Simon, or else this is your first day, and if it is, welcome to you. Um, to his right, we've got Bunya, the smileiest, smiley guy in the whole church. Hospitality, be hospitable. He is the epitome of that. Mensa? Um, Dino? Uh, Dean, that you just heard of in collab powerful man of God. Let's the bottom left. Um, to his right, Malcolm. I don't know that guy with the red beard. He's Dodge. And then to his right, we've got Duncan, um, who's who is an absolute legend. We are here to be shepherds for you guys as the church. And our ask today is that you keep praying for us as elders. Um, we do have targets on our backs uh, because of the fact that God has made us shepherds. So pray for our marriages. We want to be great in, that, in our homes with our, and for those who have kids as well. We want, to really be desire, we want to desire for you guys to pray for our marriages, pray for our relationships with God. Just because we're in this position doesn't mean we're automatically on fire. We must pray that our intimate relationship with Jesus is strong. And pray for us for wisdom, that we give sound judgment and we preserve what God has taught. This is something that you could really help us out with, is to pray for us. Now God has a really high perspective about church. That's why it's all about him and he appoints these under shepherds. And so who are the church? And that's where we're gonna be spending most of our time now this morning is point number three on who are the church. The most people ask the question, what is the church? But this is the incorrect question because in the Bible the church isn't a what, it's a who. And so we look at 1 Peter Uh, Chapter 2, it says about the church that they are a chosen race. They are a royal priesthood. They are a holy nation. A people for God's own possession that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So the church is a who? The word church in English coming out of the Greek ecclesia, which means gathering or uh, congregation. But the gist of it is a gathered people and we are a gathered people because we are gathered around the name of jesus this is the fundamental definition of what church is so therefore church isn't something that you attend on a sunday nor is it a building but rather the church are the people of god who are saved by the power of god for the purposes of god in the world that is who the church actually is So when we buy into this biblical definition, then we don't stop being the church when we exit City Green on a Sunday, because we understand we are the church, and whichever places and spaces and relationships God has given us, he's given it to us that we might be a representative of him, his church, his gathered ones scattered around the world, bringing fame to his name everywhere that we are. And so it doesn't stop, you're always the church and you never get a day off. You're always Jesus's representative. That's why this year we wanna help you. How do you cultivate those places, spaces, and relationships for God? Because we don't stop being the church when we walk out of here. Now, to understand the depths of what God is calling us to as a church, we must look at the church's images that it has for the Bible, which are numerous. Uh, I think one source said there's over 80 images, unique images for the church. The preaching team joked that I would, I would preach through all 80, and we would be here until nightfall. But luckily for you, this is not the case. Um, but just to give you a taste of some of the immense images that God uses as He affectionately speaks about the church, He calls us that we are the body of Christ, the people of God, the elect, the new creation, His chosen generation, the temple of God, His servants, and His ambassadors. We are his branches, his flock, and the bride of Christ, a priesthood, aliens and sojourners, light and salt of the earth, the firstborn of Christ, and we are a letter of Christ to the world. God has a very high view of who the church is, and so we need an equally high view. So I'm just gonna go through five very prominent analogies in the Bible, and we're gonna see what applications we have for each one. The first one is that the church is called God's flock. Jesus is repeatedly referring to himself as a shepherd and that his his church are his flock. In John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they know me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. We have a good shepherd, and he is governing, he's guarding, he's guiding us as a people. And scandalously enough, uh, he appoints other under-shepherds to actually shepherd his church. So as an elder, I only view myself as an under-shepherd because I'm under the great shepherd, the good shepherd. And the good shepherd has under-shepherds that he gives responsibilities over, this brings me to a point about why god would not be content with you just being a christian in the world but actually joining a local church hebrews chapter 13 says obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your soul as one who would have to give an account so just from your perspective if you downplay the importance of church membership i find it hard to see how you could prioritize fulfilling the Scripture's command to submit to these leaders that are keeping watch over your souls is one that would have to give an account. Because in order for you to submit to these leaders, you would have to know them. They would have to know you, and they would have to know that you call them your shepherd. So it's an important point that even though we are the church, and the church is on the streets, and we know how the millennials my age and Gen X is like, we love it. We love the fact that the church is in a building. But one thing we must also love is that God calls us into little microcosms of churches and that we have to have leaders and eldership authority over us. Second thing I wanna point out is that if God is gonna keep me accountable to the souls of the people that I'm watching over, um, there's many people that come through the doors here at City Hope Church. How can I possibly live this out keeping watch over each person's soul? only way that that is possible is if there's a group of people that says i am a part of this church i am accepting you guys all to be our elders you guys to shepherd us keep us accountable and we will keep you accountable that's a definable relationship where you can actually keep me accountable i can keep you accountable so i would say this is yet another point as to why you must join a local church us poor shepherds out there have no idea who God's gonna keep us accountable for until someone comes and says, I wanna be a part of this church. So for the sake of my heart, if nothing else, on this point, it's important for you to join a church. It doesn't have to be this one. Um, and there's, the applications are quite obvious. Number one, you must join a church somewhere. Don't just be content floating around unaffiliated as just a general Christian. You must join a church somewhere. Come under the blessing of eldership authority somewhere And secondly, if you wanna join our church, you don't become a member of our church uh, just by attending 10 times and then automatically you've now crossed this invisible line or when you've shared uh, the sermon with your grandmother then you've transcended into the echelons of being a member. It's not these arbitrary things. You have to actually come and join by coming to the landing. So if you've never been to the landing before, that's where you actually come to join our church. And so my encouragement to you would be on my right, your left, there's a sign-up sheet out there for the landing. If you consider yourself a part of this church but have never come to the landing, it will be a blessing to you and it will be a blessing to us. Do that. We don't do members, by the way, we do partners. And we'll get more into that as the sermon series goes along. We don't believe in the transactional attitude of membership, we believe in scrumming together, partnering for Jesus. Okay, that was just number one, can you believe it? Secondly, we are also, as the church, living stones. 1 Peter 2 says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. This is so pivotal. It's the image, I'm not going to go into the Holy Spirit aspect of it, I'll get into that later. But the general idea of this image is one brick on top of another, on top of another, forms a wall, forms a house. And so in the church, the type of interdependent relationship Jesus wants from the church is that we are dependent upon one another. Not satisfied with just, I come to church, I get what I want from it, and I leave, and I go back to my individualistic life. But rather that we live lives that are built into one another, dependent upon one another. Many of us can testify in 2020 and in 2021, it's been a blessing that we have a church that we have people embedded into our lives that will prop us up when we're feeling down, that will give us encouragement when we're feeling flat, and people that will literally uphold us and carry our burdens with us. The picture that God has for the church is so different from the individualistic attitude that we have in the world. God wants us to be living stones, so built into one another, if you weren't here, the wall would collapse, the house would collapse. That's what God desires of us, so if you've gotten out of the habit of inviting people into your house, letting them into your world, God would be encouraging you, because you're living stones as the church, let that be a new beginning for you. Invite people in, draw them in, ask how can I be a support to you, and how can you do something for me? That's the kind of relationship interdependent that God has for the church, and it's a blessing. It's not something to, to view as negative, it's an amazing blessing that God has for the church. In fact, the type of descriptions that God has for what the church should do with one another are impossible if we don't know exactly who that community is and we're not joined to a church. Listen to this, we call to love one another, welcome one another, care for one another, agree with one another, bear with one another, forgive one another, teach one another, do good to one another, confess to one another, show hospitality to one another. That's a lot of one-anothering that the Bible is on about. So this, is, it, this can't really be lived out if you don't belong to a local body of believers. Equally so, I would say to those guys that are online, and bless you for joining us online, um, online is an amazing tool that God uses to reach people, but there is something about living out the scripture that requires the physical you to be physically present with other people so that you can fulfill this one-anothering that God is calling you to. God really wants the physical you to bless physical people. And so it's part of what's required. We must come, we have to be regular, we have to be committed. If you're gonna be built into people in this way, you can't come to church once in a blue moon and message someone once in a blue moon. We have to be entrenched in one another's lives. That's why our rhythms of small groups and gatherings are not something to be like, ah, when I feel like it and when it's all right. Think about the other people that you could encourage and that you could build up by being there regularly. Because God is calling you to be a stone built into his house, supporting other people. Think of it from that perspective rather than what's in it for me. Ask yourself, where can I be a stone, a pillar, a consistent thing in someone else's lives? Let's be committed to church. Let's not be flaky about church. The church has a big mission. And it's gonna require some proper commitment if we're gonna do the things Jesus asks us to do instead of being half committed for half the things Jesus wants us to do. If we really wanna make him famous, if we really wanna live for his glory, let's be a committed church, living stones built together for his glory. Thirdly, the body of Christ. Romans, I'm just gonna go to 1 Corinthians, okay? So for the body is not one part but many. But now there are many parts but one body. And if one part of the body suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if a part is honored, all the parts rejoice with it. So the analogy is quite simply that the church is a body, a living organism like, and all of the people are different parts of that body. Some people have a function that they can see. Some people have a function that they are like legs, some people are like just backbone people. You get these people in church that, when they're not there, it's like the backbone of church is missing. All different parts of the body have a different function and we're all gifted in different ways to build up the church. The function of the gift is that we build up the church to the full stature of Jesus Christ. It takes every person to play their part. It's very different to the gifted leader makes the church go round, but rather the church goes round because every single person plays their role. Some people have very outward roles and some don't. So not everyone's a hand, not everyone's a high an eye. Some people are just bums, okay? Um, we have different body parts and they all get honor. In fact, the Bible says the ones that are less seen get double honor. So people like preachers like myself are seen. Uh, my honor is from God, but also people can see and thank me for it. But some people are behind the scenes and no one sees the stuff that's happening with finances At City or no one sees who's in the box there and actually making things go around God says they get double honor the point is that everyone does their part and the church only is the church when everyone plays their part so ask yourself the question am I playing my part in church or am I just there for the ride because if you want to embrace all that the church is you got to say I've got skin in the game and I'm a body part and I've got something to give there's some practical implications of this if you're taking notes one application is to join a serving team that might not be the most glorious thing in your head but it is the most glorious thing in jesus's head because if you want to be the greatest you have to be the least if you want to be great you have to serve and so serving in this house is one of the greatest things in god's eyes that you could do all of our volunteer teams need more people we need more hosts we need more this we need more that and over the next couple of weeks we're going to profile these teams a bit but my encouragement to you would just be to just serve it's just going to take one once a month. It's not going to take much of your life. All that you're doing is putting your hand up to say, I want to be a part of the body. I want to be a contributing member of this body. Second application is, we don't need serving rosters in order to serve other people. Use the gift that God has given you to serve others. If you are a couple that can build into marriages, build into marriages. If you have a gift of mercy to help people when they're down, then do that. Don't wait for us to... like do an initiative or have have like a ministry moment, ask people how they are, lay hands on them, pray for them, ask them how you can help. Gift of mercy people, just go for it. Whatever the gift is that God has given you, use it for his glory and to build up the church. But we need to move from being passengers to saying I'm a part of building this church. Don't underestimate what God has put in you because he, what he's put in you, he's put in nobody else in exactly that same manner. You are uniquely gifted and wired to make an impact for God in a way that the person next to you cannot. And God wants you to bring what he put in you for all of the church because the church is an organism that God is building and you're a part of it. And you're not, you're not an optional extra and you're not left out and God hasn't overlooked you. But he says, I'm going to use you to build my kingdom because you are part of my church. Church is a body. But the church is a body that is also the temple of God. We have the Holy Spirit pumping through this body. Now, this temple of God, let's just speak into it for a second. Jesus said this in John chapter 2. He said, He was walking around Jerusalem and he said, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. But the Jews said, What? It's taken 46 years to build this temple. And you're gonna raise it in three days that's some serious building but he was trolling them Jesus obviously but he was speaking about the temple of his body Jesus was about to change the game in the Old Testament God dealt in certain places in certain spaces on certain people for certain moments and one of them was the temple and his presence was in the temple but Jesus was about to change the game His body was going to be broken so that the presence of God would no longer dwell only in temples but would come into people's lives. And the Holy Spirit would dwell inside of people. And we will be the temples of the Holy Spirit. And so when people mourn about, you know, the temple in Jerusalem, it's so sad. There's a mosque there now. Who cares about that? we are temples now of the holy spirit jesus doesn't care if the temple is destroyed in jerusalem he cares about us being the temples of the holy spirit there's an amazing thing if you just connect it back to the to the body analogy we're a body but we're a temple of the holy spirit it's like we all have our part and we all a different muscle but um yeah anyways now i don't know what i'm saying oh just the electricity that runs through the body is the Holy Spirit. So each of us are muscles, and we each have the ability to build into God's church. But what it actually requires, the currency that it requires is just being obedient to the Holy Spirit, because our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within us. So it's an amazing thing, electromyography. That's a a practice of like you put electrodes into muscles and you test how they work. The electromyography is the Holy Spirit pumping through the body. Because we temples of the Holy Spirit now. Paul says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. It was by the precious blood of Jesus Christ that we have access to God. That we can feel the presence of the Holy Spirit is an immense privilege. I am amazed that I am born in this era rather than before Jesus came, that I can have the presence of God with me. But the application is we must worship God with this body. So in the Old Testament, they offered sacrifices. In the New Testament, we offer more sacrifices. Hebrews 13 says, through him then, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips that acknowledge his name. So, no longer do we just bring a lamb to be slaughtered in the morning and in the evening, or just a ram on a special holiday. But God says now we are the temples of the Holy Spirit, and the sacrifice we bring isn't dependent upon times. It's all the time we bring a sacrifice of praise because we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. We are even the priests. I didn't say this at the eight. We are also the priests that present the sacrifice. And according to Romans 12, our life is the sacrifice. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. We the temple, we the priest, we the sacrifice. We lay ourselves down on the altar saying, God, use me, I am yours. And the thing that we bring to the party is all the time praising Jesus with our lips. That's the sacrifice that we bring in the New Testament era. So some applications to that is number one, live a life of praise. If Sunday is something foreign to you and we come and we praise together and you don't do it during the week, this is not God's design. Hebrews 13 would be saying to you, live a life where you bring a sacrifice of God to God with the praise of your lips. Don't let Sunday be an abnormal thing for you. Let it be the climactic together moment of every other day of your life where you praise God forever and ever. Now with this as well, second application, when we come here on a Sunday, it is significant because it's a together moment of praise. Um, Be prepared to offer that sacrifice. So this involves things like coming here on time and coming here also with your heart prepared to bring a sacrifice of praise. Not dragging in Monday to Saturday and coming in your half distracted, thinking about lunch and work, but rather being pre- presenting our, our hearts and aligning ourselves to bring a sacrifice of praise. I'm not always in the game when I rock up on a Sunday. That's why I pray before a gathering starts. I pray, Lord, would you presence yourself in this gathering? Would you move amongst your people? God, would you glorify yourself? Lift, let us lift you up, Lord. Make it all about you. We want to glorify you. And as I pray about those things, I notice my heart becoming more and more ready to offer a sacrifice of praise so that when I'm in here, I can lift up my hands and open my mouth and be present and know it is because Jesus is worthy and I'm here to offer sacrifice of praise to him. So my advice to you would be pray yourself hot. You're gonna come in cold sometimes, but one of the best tips is just pray for five minutes before you get here about this gathering so your heart can be prepared to offer a sacrifice of praise. Our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit so we can lift up our hands, we can come on our knees, we can do things that express all of us is praising Jesus. Don't be conservative with your body when it comes to giving an offering of praise to God. Let it be with our lips but also with our bodies. Modern Alcohol Alkafal Mensah, that was now a remix of what I had in my notes. The fifth point and the final point that I have and possibly the most significant image is that the church is the bride of Christ. What we find in the Bible is that the greatest love story of all time is how Jesus loved the church. That the church was wayward and we'd all live for ourselves, but Jesus, loving the church, came after them and died. It says here in Ephesians 5, that husbands likewise are to love their wives just like Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. The amazing thing, even us dudes, we brides, bro. We are brides for Christ. And we best get used to it, because we're unfaithful, but God is faithful. The greatest love story is Jesus went and bled on the cross because he so loved you, but it's not just individualistic. He died for his church he loves his church and he wants one day to come back and there's going to be a great wedding ceremony the wedding feast of the lamb and right now we're betrothed right now we've got an engagement ring on our finger if we in christ he's given us the seal of the holy spirit as a guarantee that one day he will come collect us but the wedding ceremony hasn't happened yet the wedding ceremony is coming and he wants to have this amazing moment where we move in together And God is with us. And we praise Him. We say, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And we're in a loving relationship, face to face, forever and ever. But the applications of that is we must live holy lives, guys. We are set apart for Jesus. He set Himself apart for us so we can set ourselves apart for Him. Let's be holy. Not because we're trying to be religious, but because Jesus died for us. Secondly, we must love the church. Jesus loves the church like his own bride. So we can't say, I love Jesus, but I'm apathetic about the church. We have to love the church. But love is not a feeling. Love is devotion. So if you love Jesus, be devoted to the church. And the most important application of this is we have to be besotted about Jesus. Like a wife and a husband are besotted over one another. Because this is a love relationship, and it's all about Jesus. I would ask you guys to stand with me. We should be besotted over Jesus because we are his bride, because we his people, because we his chosen, we his new creation, we his chosen generation. We are the salt and light of the world, we are the letter of Christ to the world. But more importantly, we should be besotted over Jesus because he's our bridegroom. And because he's the head. Because he's the Alpha, the author of life, and the Almighty God. He's the bread of life, our beloved, and he is the bridegroom of the church. He is the chief cornerstone. He's the creator, and he is the Christ. He's our good shepherd. He is our great high priest. He is God, and he is good. He is the image of God, Emmanuel, the indescribable gift, the great I am, he's the king of Israel, the king of all creation, the king of ages, the king of my heart, the light of the world, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the living one and the Lord of glory. He's the morning star, the mighty one, the mediator of God and man, the offspring of David, the only begotten, Our protection, our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. He is the great prophet. He is the precious stone. He is the power of God. He is the root of David. He is our rock. He is our redemption. He is the son of God. He is the savior of the world. He is supreme. He is the way. He is the word. And he is the wonderful counselor. And he's the head of the church. And the church is all about him. And we are devoted to him. Like a bride waiting for her groom, we'll be a church ready for you. Every heart longing for our king. And we sing, even so, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. So as brides today, let's worship our king Jesus with all of our hearts. Hands raised high to the only one who's worthy, the supreme king Jesus.